Hey everybody, welcome to episode 55 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Picciuto. Hey, what's going on? Not much. And Jimmy DeResta. Hello. Hello. How's How are you guys? Good, 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 good. Good, cool. What's going on? Well, what are we working on? I am working on this little box. It's just a simple little mitered keyed box. And uh, I thought I was going to have it done last week. I ran into some issues. The hinges, I got some of those fancy Brusso hinges. Mm. And I got this this hinge mortising jig from Rockler. I didn't realize that the jig takes a plunge router. I don't own a plunge router. I just have regular routers. Uh, a couple, of, uh, like a trim router and, and, a, and a porter cable. So I quickly ordered a DeWalt plunge router. And that's the last thing I have to do. And so that'll be done. It's kind of a long video because I go into some details, but I, I think it's I think it's entertaining enough where it doesn't seem too long. But yeah, that's what I'm working on. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to have it up this week because I'm going to be traveling later this week. It's my goal to have it done before before traveling. Are you? Did you buy the the Dewalt little tiny one or the big one? Uh, the tiny, the Dewalt tiny one. Oh yeah, it comes with like a plunge yeah. attachment. Yep. Yeah, I have that. I love that router. It's great. It seems really well built. I just I just put it together. I mean, there's not much to put together, but I just took it out of the box and I'm pretty happy with my purchase. Yeah. Did you buy it with the clear base? The like the static base is a clear plastic? Yes. Oh yeah, that's the new one. I have the old one which is still aluminum and it's a big hole in one side. Mm. I just noticed that they're making them in clear now. That's yeah, a great tool. Cool. No plug. This isn't a plug for DeWalt. I just like that. <laughs> Axel. Everybody knows I hate DeWalt. But I like their tools. <laughs> Does that make sense? Sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what am I working on? I'm working on two videos. I decided to do a chessboard because once I made the chess pieces, a lot of people asked me to make the chessboard. And it's on my social media, hopefully by today, which will be, if this is a Friday, hopefully it'll be done and up because I too am traveling. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I had a little little bit of a you know touch and go whether I was liking the design and I was way far into it but when I had that moment in time I made this chessboard it's kind of with veneered walnut and veneered spalted maple and I did this border around the edge and you can see it in my Instagram right now I'm not sure I want to bombard the, my Instagram with another picture of it until it's totally done and I'm happy with it it's coming out really nice now and now I'm just having a little trouble getting one clean set of casted pieces because I make, I made so many of them and, and everyone's got a little bubble somewhere and it's driving me nuts. Mm. I was using the compression tank, but it wasn't working as I expected. Mm. And what I really need is a vacuum pump, which is something I don't have. So, you know, we live and learn. So the next time I have to make critical castings, I'm going to get a vacuum pump. I'll probably just find one on Craigslist. Oh, and then I just made steel saw horses to use my new welder. So that was fun. I got a welder. Saw those. Those are cool. My new Lincoln 210 welder. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I just have one more finishing touch to do. And then that video will be wrapped. Hopefully it'll be out by this point. And uh, that's it. Just running around, replacing the screen of my iPhone, playing around, hanging out at the Mac store, spending money. That was my afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take one of those and one yeah. of those. I, you know, I'm, you're talking about Craigslist. I am very disappointed in Craigslist because I hear you and everybody else talk about, yeah, I'm going to look for a tool. And then I, I get this 80-foot joiner and then this whatever, whatever. <laughs> Craigslist here is horrible. Mm. <laughs> I've been looking for a porta band, you know, like uh, to cut metal with for, I don't know, two months. Mm -hmm. I've seen one on there and it's in Jacksonville, which is two hours from here. 
but it shows yeah. up in our local results. I can't find anything on Craigslist. Harbor Freight's got a pretty decent porta van. Yeah, there's this big, like it. It's like on oh, a stand. Oh, not that big, not that big eight hundred dollar one. They don't have the little handheld one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I just missed that. Uh, if you we talked about Jocko a minute ago, but if you Jocko's got like a small one on like a little chop stand, it's like the one that I have like stuck in my vice in my videos. They make those that go on a little chopper, and those are really convenient. And like I said, Jocko, of course, he's in Italy, so it's probably some brand that doesn't exist here. But I know they make them in America. I forget what the brand is. But it's like a little handheld one that takes the 42-inch blade, and it's on like a little stand. But you don't really need the stand. You could just have it in handheld and use it the way I do. Yeah. Hmm. Those are at Home Depot for 300 brand new from DeWalt and also from Milwaukee. Yeah, I found. I was looking at the Milwaukee one. but Yeah. There's a Milwaukee yeah, one here in Toledo, Bob. It looks brand new on Craigslist for two hundred dollars. Hmm. Yeah, not here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be driving to Chicago, and when I drive through, if I stop, I usually kind of just open up Craigslist in the area and see what's available. But so I have my truck with me, and I'll have a bunch of cash. I'll be prepared to drop <laughs> money from here until the Midwest, buying all the tools I'll don't need. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make it rain in someone's back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> for an old sewing machine of so, which i have seven already nice uh bring one bring one with you and i'll take one of those <laughs> they're too heavy to move that's why i just keep right. getting them they're easy to bring down the stairs they're not easy to bring up and out is yeah. there anything when you move out of your shop eventually is there anything that's just gonna stay there that you're just gonna be like i don't know where that came from sorry well, i'll tell you that the, the the table saws are, are such a difficult thing to move actually the most difficult thing i think we got down the shop was the the uh, the the grizzly milling machine because it's so awkward. It wasn't on a base or anything. It, like if we move it next, now I know I'll put it on a pallet. And so it was just no real easy place to grab it. It was just so awkward. We like tied ropes around it and dropped it down the hole, and it was just difficult. We weren't really prepared. We went into it thinking, oh, we'll just carry it, and then we realized it was so difficult to carry. So going up, it'll be different having the education. And then the cabinet saws are hard. But we just lay a big, long plank on the stairwell and just either slide things down or drag them up and out. So hmm. we just got to manage everybody on the sidewalk because we there's like a, a parking pole, you know, so you don't drive on the sidewalk directly outside the sidewalk hole. So we, I usually attach pulleys and stuff to that. And then everyone like shrugs and gets annoyed because they can't walk on the sidewalk. They have to like step one foot off the sidewalk and then one foot back on the sidewalk. So everyone gives me attitude. Mm. It's like I've ruined their day because they have to do a little jug handle around the, the pulley setup. <laughs> because I'm not wearing like a, a Lilco hat. If I was wearing like a Con Edison hat, they wouldn't care. New well, York, Lower East Side, New York attitude. For me, uh, what I've been working on, I made a uh, spinning stand for one of my 3D printers. Which sounds really mm -hmm. stupid and pointless, but um, you have to change the filament on the back of the printer. And, you know, it feeds up, it's a spool and it feeds up into the machine. But then while you're doing that, you have to hit the controls on the front of the machine to tell it to feed it or spit it out or whatever. So you have to actually pick some, I have to at least pick the machine up, turn it, do part of the work, turn it back, push a button, turn it back, do part of the work. And so I got like a 12 inch Lazy Susan bearing, made a cabinet to hold a bunch of filament and hold a printer, and so now I can just spin it around and do the stuff, and it's way easier to deal with. So, nice. and it's uh, I was really surprised. This little uh, bearing can hold up to a thousand pounds, so you wow. could make 
pretty substantial, you know, base for a tool that could spin around. But that's anyway. pretty cool. Yeah, you know, so it always annoyed me, like the Macintosh still, I mean, I haven't had a big tower, a new tower in a while. I've been working on a laptop for a long time, but it always drove me crazy. I, I used to set my Apple towers up backwards because it was, I was more often plugging in things than I was putting a CD in it. So yeah. I had a, ba- you know, like, what do you do more often? Plug and unplug hard drives. So I always had the machines backwards in my, my office setups. And, you know, everyone's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. What's wrong with Mac? Why don't they have the ports? I mean, now more often they, it's, it's happening that way. But no, just my, everything frontally. I don't understand why they do that. My iMac drives me nuts because all the ports are, it's built, it's just like the, the computer's built into the screen. And it's really hard to get back to the USB ports and the headphone yeah. ports. So yeah. I had to buy this Belkin extension thing to bring it out front. So I can easily access everything. I, it looks pretty, but to me, it's it's horribly designed. Maybe not horribly designed, but not yeah, designed to my taste. It should be frontal. I totally dig yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a form over function thing. And that, I mean, that's generally Mac's thing anyway, is that right. it forms first, you know. Yeah, that is kind of a problem. I've got, you know, like hard drive after hard drive plugged into USB hub, plugged into USB hub. <laughs> There's cables all over the place on my desk. Yeah. It would be a Mac designer's nightmare seeing my desk. Well, you know, it's funny. I was in the Mac store this afternoon and had my phone replaced. And I was looking around and every one of the, the Mac techs has like a little thing on the side of their their belt loop with like seven different types of cables for all the different cables they're going to have to deal with testing stuff all day long. Hmm. And it's funny to me like how technology has advanced so much, but yet we still need that connectivity no matter what. Everything mm-hmm. still needs to be plugged in. We need like I'm, I'm using all these power tools in the shop and I still am tripping over extension cords. <laughs> like we build shops and then, you know, like the last, oh, we need electric. Oh, that's right. Where should we put the electric? You know, and then like you put the electric in the most inconvenient spot. So the plug gets kicked out every 10 minutes. So do you, do you guys funny. have the issue where you flip a breaker almost every single day in your shop? Uh, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I used to, but I had more circuits put in. So yeah, I need that. I had upstate. I, I, I spent $15,000 to have electric brought in from the telephone pole across 300 feet of earth underground and then into my garage so i could actually have more than just enough to turn a light switch on oh wow so you know so i could run a 60 amp welder and stuff like that and my compressor just blew the circuit from the day one like i went up there and i told the guy who did the i'm going the circuit keeps blowing he goes oh yeah well it must be that that particular compressor it's the the craftsman compressor so after like two years of the circuit blowing all the time the other day last time i was upstate i went to home depot and i replaced the circuit in the circuit board and the fuse hasn't blown once, so it was a faulty mm. circuit switch. Maybe that's what I'm here. I, I am do. thinking. It, I I thought it was the compressor for two years. That you know, it was just this compressor that he goes, oh well, it just has a high start amperage or whatever. He gave me some standard, you know, blow off excuse that I'm sure he's just like, oh, how can I get out of this job without having to do any more work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he blamed it on the compressor, but it was that particular circuit breaker was, I guess, defective because I put the same exact one in, just a huh. new one, and hasn't blown once. Crazy. Yeah, it happens. I mean, a lot of times there's just stuff that's just bad. You can't see it. You know, you can't see why it's bad or anything. It's bad. Yeah. I've been running into some things kind of like that. I've been working on the arcade machine and I'm doing all the electronics now. So I've got this big mess of wires and Arduinos and LEDs and all this stuff and sensors. And so there's a bunch of components and I've found that randomly a couple of the components have just stopped working. And it's not that I've burnt them out or done something wrong to destroy them. They're just fragile, you know, and 
So in, in this one sensor I'm using is a passive infrared sensor. So basically it will measure to see if a person is there. It detects motion. You know, it's like a, what a, they use in motion controlled lights and stuff, you know, outside your house. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, one of them just stopped working. And so I was, you know, like jamming on the circuit, getting everything going. All the lights are coming on when they're supposed to. And then all of a sudden nothing works. And I'm like, I didn't change anything. Swapped out this sensor just because I had another one laying there and everything worked fine. So unfortunately, yeah. I guess it's an electrical thing. Just Sometimes stuff just dies. Hmm. You can't see it. Well, it's funny. You know, we weren't talking about, we weren't intending on talking about it, but troubleshooting is such an important part of like a day to day and like knowing how and where and when. And, uh, Somebody's in my neighborhood is getting arrested. What a surprise. <laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Willie. Well, <laughs> troubleshooting. Willie, Willie will tell me the 411. Troubleshooting is so important because, you know, from day to day, like, you know, I, I, I'm intimately uh, uh, up to speed on what goes on with the electric in my shop. But when somebody else is working there, for instance, you know, we got to work backwards. We got to check the extension cord. I know, oh, the blue extension cord doesn't work so well sometimes, especially when it's bent in this direction. You know, so troubleshooting backwards from like pulling the trigger on the tool and it not working to um, everything. All my electronics just went off. I guess they're working. But yeah, just troubleshooting is <laughs> <laughs> troubleshooting is obviously an important part and going backwards. Like, you know, sometimes like Taylor will pick up a song. She's like, this doesn't work. And I'm like, it works. And then we go back and we realize, you know. You know, a lot of times what happens is when that problem arises, you are very frustrated and it's a little hard to troubleshoot when you're in that state of mind (laughs) and you can't figure out what it is. And then later on in the day when you're eating or watching a movie or TV or something, you're like, oh, you know what it is? It's this. And so as soon as your mind calms down, you figure out where the problem is. So I think we have to find a a way to calm ourselves down Mm -hmm. instantly to, to help figure out what the issue is. Yeah. Well, I'm just so used to everything going wrong in my shop when it comes to this stuff because I've been doing it for so long. Like, of course, we all get frustrated and so do I, but I, I can usually troubleshoot these type of things really quickly because I just always expect. And then for years, I was in the toy business and me and my brother Joey were always presenting prototypes that run on batteries. And this was pre-Arduino. And, you know, everything's just electromechanical. And of course, it works a hundred times and you get in that meeting and it doesn't work. Hmm. And you got your screwdriver and your little kit with you and you take it apart and put it back together and then you finally, oh, I promise when we manufacture this, it's going to work every time. You, know? <laughs> you just look like an idiot. <laughs> but you just always, I just like always trained. It's funny. I was listening to the guys, uh, Dave Dave Welder and, and the podcast that those guys do um, in uh, faking it. And Dave brought up a, a really funny point, you know, working with me saying how we just always expect everything to go wrong. So we just like, we're pleasantly surprised when everything goes well, but like when there isn't, when, when you don't have to troubleshoot, when you don't have to recover from a mistake, it's like, wow, something doesn't feel right. <laughs> just because we've been in so many different circumstances. So Dave, Dave said it pretty eloquently a couple weeks ago. Hmm. I was, it was kind of related, but it made me think of the same thing. Um, this morning I did a little Google Hangout with a, uh, like an engineering class in Atlanta Oh, cool. And it's these students that are doing like a, a short-term DIY making kind of engineering class, and they ended up, their final project was to make a lamp from scrap stuff that they found at a store or something. And uh, one of the kids asked me like what my favorite material was to work with or what, you know, like what was my favorite woodworking or metalworking or whatever. And I didn't really have a good answer, but the thing that I said was like I like them for different reasons, 
woodworking and metalworking is gratifying because you can see immediately see the progress. Like, you know, you cut a piece of wood in half and then you have two pieces of wood. You can see that. And so it's gratifying for that reason. It's also easier to troubleshoot when something goes wrong because you can see, yeah, I cut it wrong. <laughs> and I like the programming and the electrical stuff for a different reason because it's like not as concrete, not as physical. And when something goes wrong, it's not as obvious like exactly where the problem is. And so you have a different kind of search that you have to do. And I had never really thought about that until the kid asked me. And I was like, oh, huh. I actually kind of like all these different things for very different reasons. It's not like you can say, yeah, they're all making stuff. I like them the same. Um, they're different types of problem solving and different types of, you know, where the problem is going to be and wh- how far back you have to work to find it or fix it or replace it or whatever. That's, but, you know, when you do problem solving like that, that's when you realize what you don't know. Yeah. You know, when you go backwards and you're like, I can't fix this. And then you realize, oh, because I don't know anything about Arduinos. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've got a series of videos. <laughs> that you might like. uh, I'm on my fourth pass, still trying to understand it all. It's me, um, not you. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I was telling, this is a totally unrelated, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I was telling these students this morning about this. So my six-year-old daughter came home with a piece of paper from school the other day, and she had to do a project. And on the back of the, sh- the paper, it had the engineering design process. You guys familiar with like this five step circle? So no. it's I mean it's really basic stuff. It's what you already know innately, but it was interesting to see it written down in a circle for a six year old. And basically it's the process that any engineer goes through to design and refine their product or whatever. And so it was like you ask what the problem is, and then you define, you know, like what is it we're trying to solve, what is it trying to make or fix or whatever. You imagine what you can do to fix it. Then you plan out how you're going to make that idea reality, figure out what you need, you know, what you have to learn, what you have to prepare, and then you actually do the work, and then you go back and improve on that prototype, and then it goes back into ask. And so it's like an iteration process of that loop of, you know, you find the problem, you take a pass, and make a solution, and then you revisit it and say like, okay, what else do I have to fix? Because when you... I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it this way until I was telling these kids about it. You So if you want to make a bicycle, that's your initial problem. So you go through that process and then you end up with a bicycle. And the second time you go through that process, you have a different set of problems. It's not that you're trying to make a bicycle anymore. It's that you're trying to make a bike drive better or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's what I tell my students all the time. Make something, then make it again, and then make it again. But they look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, I just spent all my time making it the first time. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but that's a piece of garbage. Now you got to make it again so it starts to become good. Yeah, and it's a different set of problems. Like the second time you do it, the third time you do it, whatever. But that w- it was interesting, you know, because I guess that process, that circle there is something that we all do on a regular basis. But I had never seen it written down in like a format. And I thought it was really cool that my public school, mm-hmm. you know, public school, you know, teachers in first grade were sending this home for kids to figure out how to apply to their work. That's really smart. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Uh, What did we discuss? Job security? Or as you called it, Bob, job... Job insecurity. Insecurity. Yeah. So there's some stuff that's been going on lately outside of us, you know, just in the kind of the spaces that we're in that has affected some people we know um, and people we don't know and stuff. But so a bunch of us have worked with, or all of us have worked with Make Magazine. 
and Maker Media, and they recently had a round of layoffs, and they had to lay off. I think, do you remember the percentage of their staff? I heard seventeen in an article that I read, but I, I did call in to find out more information. But I have not spoke to anybody yet. Hmm. So anyway, they had to, you know, they're ch- having to adjust, and so they had to lay people off. About the same time, GoPro laid off a pretty big portion of their people, which is kind of surprising because they like recently had an IPO not too long, I guess it's been oh. a year or so, and you know they they have been like an on an upward ramp since they started. They've been doing great, so that was surprising. And then um, Fitbit is another company that's been really successful that all of a sudden laid mm-hmm. off a bunch of people with Dave's wearing one right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's in the last, you know, couple of months, there's been some pretty big, pretty successful technology companies are taking a big hit. And I used to work for Dell and there were pretty often rounds of layoffs, you know, where a, a big company like that has to shift direction. There's a lot of change that has to happen, but a smaller company like make, you know, they're really not that big for them to lose a big percentage of their workforce is a big deal. Like I said, I personally haven't spoke to anybody there yet about it, but I did notice that one of the articles I read, it said in the digital department, Hmm. I guess that would be where I am. I did write in and I asked uh, one of my contacts there, I said, are we still cool? And I haven't heard anything back in like a yay or nay way. It was a kind of a vague answer. So that's the only thing that I know right now. I do have my video ready, and this is Friday. If you've seen my video, we're cool. <laughs> if you don't if see a new video from me, I'm still not sure what's going if on. If you're reading so. <laughs> this letter. <laughs> yeah. No, so um, I don't know what's going on, but uh, I, I did say, you know, if you, I did ask my contact there. I said, if you need anything different from me, just please let me know. And, and it was a, hey, we'll talk this week. It was like, you know, a gentle blow off, but I'm sure there's lots of questions that they're being bombarded with. So it's totally understood that I didn't get a follow through. Um, but I just hope that the fare stays the same and everything else doesn't change. Yeah, hopefully. Does that it's, mean uh, that this- one thing I, I one thing I don't understand, and I excuse me for cutting you off, I don't understand how the magazine survives. I don't know how any magazine survives in this day and age because I I, I get mag, I, I get some magazines now because the subscription is either free or it came with something, and I just throw the magazine away the minute I take it out of the mailbox. <laughs> I don't even bother reading it. Yeah. And Handyman is one of those magazines, and if people from Handyman are listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> Every time I flip through it, it's like seven vague things that I did when I was 12 years old, and I just throw it right in the garbage. I, mm. I don't know why I get it. I've been getting it for two years now. I mean, of course, I don't always throw it away. I just give it straight away to somebody. If this, I'm like, here, do you want to know how to paint a fence blue? You learn how to do that. <laughs> you know, you want to know how to take baby food jars and screw the lids to the ceiling of your workshop so you can screw them in. You know, so those. Are, I mean, I just find that that particular magazine has very vague, simple ideas that. Like I said, we've all been through. I've seen a so lot of the. I'm sorry. I've seen a lot no, of no, the no, community companies. They're they're trying to uh, do other things besides print. Like they're, you know these woodworking magazines, they have these yearly shows or they have these uh, yeah. these little tours that they do. Uh, you know, Make has the the big, the two big maker fairs plus all the little mini maker fairs, and then they have all these places have their digital presence. So they're I think they understand that the the youth culture is not reading physical paper media. They're consuming right. it everything digitally. Uh, but there I, there are definitely lots of people who still prefer the hard copy to you know have in their bathroom to to read you know while showering or whatever they're doing in there. And but it's 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 going to 
I don't I don't know if it'll ever die if it'll die in my lifetime but you I, I'm you we're all watching the decline of print media and mm-hmm. how they're getting creative and new ways to make money the I would kind of assume who knows but I would kind of assume that print stuff is going to become whereas we have things right now that are you know bicycling magazine and then we have mountain biking magazine and then we have make we have these very specific things I think those really niche targeted Things are going to fall under bigger umbrellas. And then you're going to have like Things with Wheels magazine. You know, oh, wow. It just is going to cover everything. Where Because there's always going to be doctor's offices, right? There's always going to be, you know, dentist's office with waiting rooms that need magazines. Because so, right there it says, please turn your cell phone off. <laughs> <laughs> it says it in my dentist's That's office. That's true. So there's always going to be places that need magazines, but they don't need specific like mountain biking magazine. They need like, you know. Things with, things with wheels. <laughs> things with wheels magazine. Dot com. I just dot, got it. I just oh got no. it. Things with wheels dot com. That's a really it. interesting theory because growing up in the web world over the past 12, 13 years, we've always kind of been taught if you want to get yourself found on the web, you have to be really niche to separate yourself from right. the general topics. And then you were saying the exact opposite for print media. Well, and that's really because the thing that actually makes a magazine work from an economic standpoint is advertising. And so if you have a really niche magazine, you're going to have a very low number of advertisers that are going to try to be targeting those specific people. Whereas if you have a Things with Wheels magazine, anybody who makes tires for mountain bikes, <laughs> I'm really going to go with this idea. I okay? love it. Um, <laughs> Wait, things with wheels under three inches wide or? (laughs) No, it's just things with wheels. I mean, that's too specific. No, but any of the advertisers that make tires for anything with wheels would be interested in in advertising in that magazine. And so I think the only way print magazines are ever going to continue to survive is as long as they have enough advertising to pay for the physical printing. Because that's what pays for magazines, not subscriptions. And the only way that's going to happen is if the there's enough advertisers and they're only going to be enough advertisers if their target audience is included, you know? So, well, it's also, I, would, I mean, l- let's not forget a circulation too. So when a magazine goes out to print and you know, how, like when you think like in terms of like TV, for instance, it's the only thing I know real numbers, you know, 50 million people used to watch mash on a given night, you know, now a good TV rating is like a million and a half because mm. it's gotten so diluted. Right. You know, so yeah. that's why, you know, when, like, for instance, the Super Bowl is a prime example because everybody's watching the Super Bowl. Even the Super Bowl doesn't get those kind of ratings anymore. But, uh, you know, that's when you know there's going to be a lot of eyeballs and then all the ad space is much, much more expensive. So it's the same thing with magazine circulation. If the circulation is big, all those little cubicles in the back, all those little squares on the back of the magazine are worth more money. So, so yeah, I think um, there's maybe a bubble happening with um – some of that technology, you know, obviously we've gone through a few bubbles, technology bubbles, where there's tons of money, everybody's hiring, everybody's making new stuff, and then all of a sudden, everybody gets laid off and, you know, stuff crashes. And I'm curious if there's another one of those happening now, and if so, like, what's it what's it going to be stuck to? Is it technology? Is it YouTube? Is it, you know what I mean? Like, where does this go? What does this affect? If it is a thing, maybe it's not. I think it's just cycles because uh, do you remember like in the 90s when there was the internet bubble? I remember there was uh, everybody was rich, but nobody really had the money in their hand. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Rich in stock. 
Yeah. I mean, right down in my neighborhood, there was a, there was a website called pseudo.com. Does anybody remember that? Mm-hmm. I, they were like hipsters in my neighborhood. This is in the 90s. So this is the 90s hipsters that had the logo for the company tattooed on them. Mm. I remember seeing kids like around the neighborhood that had like pseudo.com. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? They got like a comp, and then like it completely went out of everything, you know, all the bubble burst and, and pseudo.com. I don't even know what it was, but I remember in the, in the late 90s going to parties. I'm like, and walking into parties because I was just kind of rolling with the flow of a couple friends of mine that were kind of more in that world. And like you walk into a party, I remember walking into a pseudo.com party and everybody walked in, had to look at a camera and say who they were and what they did. So every single person, there was like mm-hmm. 15 cameras set up and you had to go down this whole thing and like walk into this phone booth, speak to the operator and then get into the party. And they were just <laughs> collecting all this like hipster information for no reason. But- <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. So let's talk about our job security. So right now there's this big boom and everybody... Not everybody. Lots of people are really interested in making how-to videos. Yeah, this is definitely a big boom. And everybody is is they're they're on YouTube now. What happens to us if that just everybody like there's there's been a a boom in podcasts lately. There's a lot of new podcasts, a lot of good ones. But eventually, there's going to be too many podcasts, or maybe there's going to be too many YouTube channels. What does that mean for us? I don't know. No. Like I, I look at TV. I mean, that happened, you know, it, when I was growing up, we didn't have cable. We had four channels. And so there were only certain things that we could watch. And so we watched them. And then, you know, when I went to college, we got, I got cable and then there was more I could watch. And so I watched a bunch and then it got to where there was so much on that I had no interest in watching. And then I just didn't watch TV anymore. And now I'm back to watching just a few specific things, even though we have way more options than we ever had growing up mm-hmm. and even in college, you know, I mean, now it's diversified into all these different like streaming networks and cable networks and local stuff. And, but it's for me personally, it's boiled down to there's a few shows that are really good. And those are the ones that I found. And those are the ones I'm going to watch and I'm not going to try to take in everything. And so at least with YouTube and podcasting, I guess my hope is that people will find the stuff that, that really stands out to them if they can find it, I guess maybe that's a caveat, if they can find it, that they find the stuff that really stands out to them kind of above the rest, you know, and they they watch that. Like I watch, you know, Netflix shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's definitely a big boom and there's probably already an oversaturation. Mm-hmm. I would expect. Yeah, it's funny. I was listening to... Um I was listening to MakerCast all weekend, and I caught up on uh, on all of you guys know MakerCast. I caught up on all of them, and uh, I listened to Matt Cremona's, and Matt was talking about the golden age of of YouTube, how all of us kind of started, and I started in eleven, but I mean I started to gain traction like in thirteen, when all of us kind of started around the same time, and he called it the golden age of you know YouTube Maker things, which I thought was pretty funny because it is interesting how you know like our kind of our group. And and then the people people keep coming around and there's still young new good content. So I'm, yeah, I think as long as everyone's you know I think if you could make a living outside of that as well as inside of that, you know of course that's my my existence. So it's easy for me to say that. But you know if you could do that, you know, and then there's always you know there's there's always going to be something you know that needs to be made whether it's for camera or off camera, right? You know? You know, and 
Another interesting thing, too, that all of us aren't really paying close attention to is that we're all educating ourselves, everybody, everybody that's doing this YouTube thing. We're all educating ourselves on so many different things that let's say, for instance, YouTube shut down. It would really be difficult to make a quick adjustment. But at the end of the day, we all know how to do all these different things now. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, because we're feeding the monster, you know, like we're feeding our channels. We, we've got to keep coming up with interesting content. So we've got to keep reminding ourselves, oh, we need to learn how to do something slightly different. So it's not the same thing each time. So, I mean, at least that's that's been my personal experience is that I'm like, oh, now I know how to do this because I wanted to make sure that I did a decent video using some decent tool. You know, so that's that's what I'm trying to do. I think yeah. Arduino Arduino hasn't hasn't crossed my threshold yet, but it will. <laughs> it will. It really will. I know. I've I'm got some videos, you know. That <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm joking about that, but it's absolutely true. You know, I was also listening. I listened to uh, Lynn from Darbinovar too, and you know, she she said the same thing in a roundabout way that you you know we just have to keep coming up with new stuff to keep our content interesting, and then suddenly you sit back and you're like, oh wow, I know how to do these ten new things that I learned in the last eighteen months, which. I probably wouldn't have been as aggressive if mm. it hadn't been for the need to fulfill my YouTube obligations. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Had it, I lost it. I, you know, I, we are adding skills all the time, which I think is really good. And when it comes down to making things, you know, like you said, even if we don't have to make it for a camera, even if like we had to turn around and start building houses, we could. Whereas I think there's, especially in the technology world, there's a lot of stuff that like, you may be really good in a certain language, in programming in a certain language. And if all of a sudden, the entire industry pivots to a new language, and you haven't caught up with learning that language, you can be left behind really quickly. That happens unfairly. all the time. Yeah. yeah, it happens constantly. I remember, um, uh, I remember, and this it was sad, I remember meeting like 55 year old guys that didn't buy a computer yet in like mid 90s. Like lettering, guys that like did painted lettering and did graphics on old paste ups and mechanicals, and they're like, I haven't made the transition yet. I can't get any work. I don't know. I'm thinking about buying a computer, but I don't know what I'd do with it. You know, this is like a conversation I was having with somebody in like '93, '4, and '5. Yeah. Yeah, and they had a gorgeous portfolio full of corporate logos and stuff, but you know, they were right in the middle of you know old and new, and it was kind of sad. I, I made the transition. I, I mean, I blame it on Nick. Bilton, who, uh, who's a writer at the New York Times, he was my student in the 90s. And Nick said to me, you need a computer. He goes, I go, I wouldn't know what to do with it. He goes, just buy one and it'll start to work for you. And I did. I just you know, went hmm. out and put a credit card down and I bought an Apple computer. I had no idea what to do with it. And Nick set me up on it and he started getting me software. When software was easy to just like put on a disc and hand to somebody else, it's not that easy anymore. But um, it was funny. I, I, so I, I, I was... I had someone encouraging me, you know, a young person that I was listening to. So we talked you know, about we're... this last week, and the question was asked: Is YouTube the end game for you guys? And we don't know what the end game is, and we're always ready to pivot, and we don't know where we're going to be in five years because we're we're, we're chameleons, and we're always we're always changing mm -hmm. what we're doing. And I think that gives us an advantage. And since we're mm -hmm. just a one or two man operation it's yeah. really easy to make that pivot if you're yeah. a big magazine it's not that easy there's a lot of channels you have to go through and i think you know, you know what we're talking ahead, about can can happen even you know we, we talk about youtube a lot because that's where the three of us are but i hope that people listening who don't necessarily make videos 
can apply the same thing to what they're doing. You know, if you think of somebody who, yeah. if they're making their life livelihood by selling stuff on Etsy right now, and all of a sudden, well, I know people have done that in the last several years, and then Etsy changed all of a sudden, got oversaturated with non-handmade things and all this different stuff. And these people who were living off of Etsy now can't or couldn't. And so even if you're doing, you know, if you're making stuff to sell in whatever format or whatever place you're doing it, there's still a, a possibility that your market's going to dry up or your market's going to change to the point where you have to pivot in a different direction. And, mm -hmm. and that can still happen. I mean, you know, like we always say, problem solving is problem solving. And if you can problem solve to make a, something to sell on Etsy, then you can also problem solve how to make a product, you know, like a, a from scratch product or how to build a frame a house or how to, you know, once you go down that path, you can learn the skills. Oh man, I just made a really cool correlation in my mind. So you can, you can go down a different path and use the same thing. This is very much like programming. Programming is at, from one language to the next looks very different at, if you step back from it, because the syntax is different, like how you actually do instructions in each language is different, but at the core of it, they do the same thing. You know, you can make a conditional statement in two different languages, they do the same thing, but they're written in different ways. And so problem solving in a physical making world is the same, it's the same thing. You stand back and you want to figure out how to build a circuit. It's the same as how to build a house. The syntax is different between those two things. So if you can problem solve one, you can mm -hmm. probably problem solve the other. Yeah. I don't know where that was going, but I just went. I, honestly, that's, that's the way that I remind <laughs> myself to take chances is hmm. like, hey, if I could do this, it's just a different set of materials. I could do that. You right. know, it's partly what I wrote about in Wood Magazine a couple of months ago. But um, all this reminds me of something my brother used to say, and I don't know if I've ever said it before, but my brother and I would always remind ourselves, that my brother Joey and I, every time we've taken a chance in the toy business and like, okay, let's put down credit cards and buy a new piece of equipment, you know, when it's all the money, we don't even have the money to pay the credit card off. I remember he and I, this is going to, you guys are going to laugh. He and I applied for credit so that we can get a credit card so that we could buy a fax machine. And we had no way of paying for like a $300 fax machine until we got the credit card. We got the credit card and then we bought the fax machine. And that was like one of our first big steps in business is buying a thermo fax machine. Because the thermo fax machine was the cheaper one, like a real printed one had like ink in it and stuff. So um, we always kept reminding ourselves because we come from a background of, of laboring, we could always dig ditches. Like if it all, if all goes to pot, we could always go back and dig ditches. So it became the, the, the phrase between me and Joey and our other partner, Perry, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s was, hey, let's, let's take a swing. If it doesn't work, we can always go dig a ditch, which basically means as long as we're not above doing hard labor, we'll always at least be able to make a living. So mm. Could always dig ditches. I have friends, family members tell me, you know, like I've reached, as far as I can go in my job, there's nothing above me. You know, I, I can't do anything. And I've always, I, that always kind of bothered me. And so it seems like they just go to work just to work. And if you, there's always room for improvement or there's always ways to, to make yourself better. If you learn new things at your job and you learn to enjoy your job and you give yourself value because you know something that maybe doesn't apply to what you do directly, but maybe something else when there is time for a layoff that's 
because of all the value you've already given yourself, you are protecting yourself either no, within uh, with, true. within that company, or if you do get laid off, you have multiple skills where you can get another job somewhere else. It all. I always is, yeah. I always remind my students like do something that nobody else does in the company, so that yes. we like you you go on the short list of people to keep. Like that's the guy that knows how to restart the whole system. <laughs> exactly. Don't fire him. Yeah. Value. That's Give the guy yourself that can out. unplug it and plug it back in. That's <laughs> that guy. Wait, he's the guy that knows where to get the really good coffee. Get that from him before you fire him. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, diversifying like your skill set is good to make your daily, you know, your day to day job better, but also to give you more higher ability, I guess, mm-hmm. in the future for sure. I know that like even in the time um, that I've been you know, about seven months or so since I left uh, software development, I have already lost uh, a huge amount of that skill set. Not that I can't do it anymore, but the the trajectory that it was on as an industry has continued and I have not. And so it's really interesting to look at that now where I, I see what my friends who are still in development, what they're doing. And I'm like, wow, I got left behind really quickly. And, you know, that's one of those things that you, not that I couldn't catch up with some effort, but Man, you got to like, in certain industries like that, you have to be learning all the time, you know, and it's a good practice to be in no matter what industry you're in, but software development and, you know, anything that uses like new technology, whether it's hardware or software, you know, maybe you're doing films or something, new cameras, new, all that stuff is coming out all the time. Um, So it seems like those industries, you just have to constantly be learning just to be able to keep up, just to keep your job. Yeah. (laughs) Probably tiring. That's funny when you when you say new technology. Somebody recently showed me two brand new 3D cameras, and I looked at them and I said, "I will never know how to do that." <laughs> but maybe I will. I'll have a video. I mean, that person will have a video. <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, "Wow, that's something I really need to figure out." You know, like when I <laughs> like when you open up something that you just know you're not going to be able to innately figure out, and so you have to actually read an article online about it. That's yeah, what I think of when I think of 3D cameras. 360 cameras, not 360 cameras. 360 cameras. And oh, then I also think, oh, God, if I make a movie with one of these, I'm going to have to clean the floor. Forget it. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can't hide everything on one side of the shop. And <laughs> I don't shoot. want anybody to see what's outside the frame of the camera. It's, I already have enough time dealing with what's in the frame. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got anything else to talk about on job insecurity? No, I think, you know, like I said, my brother and I just, you know, off frame of mind and it came to me after we talked about it for a few minutes was, you know, we could always, we're never above taking a step back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and at the, you know, sometimes I meet people in this world and they're like, oh, I would never work there. And I'm like, yeah, wait till your rent and your mortgages do. You probably work at McDonald's, you know, so don't, you know, one thing that w- helps is a frame of mind of saying, you know, nothing's above me. I could always just figure it out. And then think about like, if you're really good at something and then you go to a lower position, you'd be like the biggest fish in that pond and you wouldn't yeah. even have to tell anybody. Hmm. You could like secretly take over the company. It'd be like a Jerry Lewis movie. And then like, boom, you own the company. And you were the guy that was like working in the mailroom. It's all about your attitude. Yeah. I really believe that, you know, it's like nothing's above, nothing should be above you, at least, you know, with yeah. an open mind, willing to learn. And, you know, from a moment of desperation, you got to do something, you know, when you're trapped in the corner and you got nothing. Well, and if I can jump back on my high horse about entitlement, I mean, I think, you know, there is an issue with entitlement where people think like, I'm good, I'm good enough that I should only have this job or higher, right? whether that's in the company that they're in or just in life, you know, Mm -hmm. 
Um, and to some people that means not getting a job because they think that they're owed more than, you know, what's available. And it, that's a yeah. shame. You know? It's funny, the, you know, a lot of, I noticed on Saturday Night Live and some other stuff, the millennials, the quote unquote millennials, the mm-hmm. group, they, the Saturday Night Live did a hugely funny bit where like, it's like an office with a bunch of millennials and they're like chewing gum and looking at their phone the entire time they're in a meeting and talking to the boss. And the boss is like, well, how much do you expect to get paid? I don't know, like 90000 And she's like texting and looking at a phone, not even paying attention. <laughs> so it's funny how these millennials are like entitled. I, I said it before, maybe on the podcast, I don't said it somewhere, but. I have students call me back and, you know, they're like, hey, I'm at this company. They only want to give me $10 an hour or $15 or $20 an hour. I'm like, well, what are your other options? Like, nothing, none, really. I'm like, so just do it. Just get your foot in the door and then, you know, navigate when you're internal, when you're internally at the company and figure out how you could make it work for you. But just getting through the door is, you know, when you have no other options, it's not like, hey, they're offering me $75. They're offering me $100,000. And, you know, you you don't have those options anymore. You really have to get in and then you know, grow roots internally and figure out how to make it work for you. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, people, people look past the fact that most jobs are stepping stones, right? It's, it's, yeah. you know, you take a job and then you move up and then you move to a different job and whatever. Sorry, David, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say in one of Gary Vee's books, he gives an example of like, Hey, I want to get in the restaurant business. How do I do that? And he's like, start by washing dishes, get a job washing dishes at a restaurant and see how it works from the inside. And you'll learn so much more from doing dishes than you will from going to college, you know? You know, you guys want to hear something funny. I'll have my friend David on. I don't know if he's ever listens to this podcast. My buddy David is hilarious. He's he's a, a lawyer, a juggler, a clown. If anybody pays any attention to the home jet games, he's the juggler for the New York Jets. And he does like the rallying out in the parking lot. He juggles. And he he does all these crazy things. And he wanted to he wanted to potentially be an actor on Broadway. So he's like, how am I going to get in a theater and see how I act? He went and applied to be an usher. For like a year and a half, he was an usher on Broadway just so he could be in Broadway shows watching actors. He saw, uh, what is the the one from the South Park guys? Uh, Book of Mormon. He saw the Book of Mormon like 75 times hmm. being an usher. I mean, and that's just one. One time he got a parking ticket. This is so crazy. Not a parking. He got a speeding ticket on the highway in the New York City area. So he went and took the police test so that he can get on the police exam, so he can get on the police list to be a potential cop, so that when he's in court, he could tell the judge, I'm on the police list. Could you give me a break on this? He, he, did the, he, saw the, he looked at the timeline and says, oh, I can take the police test next week. And he knows he's going to score well because he's a genius level. And he'll be high on the list, so his number will be up. So when he goes in front of the judge with this other cop who gave him the speeding ticket, he could say, I'm on the list to become a police officer. Does that grant me any leniency? <laughs> Wow. It didn't, and he goes, "I'm never going to be a cop." So he, uh, he he tore up his like ID card for like potentially being on the list, whatever that is. I don't know anything about it, but yeah, I feel he, like uh, the judge would have said, "You should know better if you're going to be a cop." <laughs> that's what I think. That's exactly what he did say, as opposed to saying, "All right, we'll grant you leniency because you know." Anyway, so my friend David is just crazy. So there's a perfect example of him working as an usher because he wanted to be an actor. Hmm. It's a little backwards. He ended up getting in a union, and all he got kind of stuck in that. He got really wrapped up in it. Like he liked it. He actually really enjoyed that part of it. Hmm. And uh, But he, he was surprised to find out that all the other ushers were just ushers and not potential actors. He's like, it's crazy. All these people just want to be an usher. They don't have any interest in being actors. He was like one of the only people that he met that had that career trajectory. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, funny guy. Huh. 
Cool. Well, um, unless we got anything else about that, we'll talk about what we're watching. Before we do that, I want to thank our Patreon supporters, um, especially Luis Gonzalez, as always, uh, Sean Petty, and Jeremy White. So thanks to them and everybody thank else you guys. from Patreon for supporting the show and helping us keep making it. Yes. <laughs> keep making it. Nice. See what I did? Oh, nice. That's funny. That's yeah. funny. Um, yeah. So thanks. And if anybody wants to help us out there, you can go to patreon.com slash making it or you can just share the show around that would be awesome as well so what are you guys watching or listening to or reading we got to come up with a new name for the segment because david keeps adding media types to it uh, but again i'm going to go with the youtube video so no. going back to the norm okay. yes but you are correct we should okay we should come up with a little uh, a little bumper some music a uh, song and what's dance. your input a jingle? What's, your, what's your input yeah so this week's input is a video from Jay Bates. He put out a video called Build a Woodworking Workbench, and it is fantastic. As There's a lot of workbench videos, books, magazines, and this is one of the best ones that I've seen, and it's free, and it's on YouTube, and Jay explains it so well. It looks like a solid piece of tool. Just really good. Awesome. Have you guys seen it? Cool. I've, I have not watched the video yet. I haven't watched it's, it yet, but I got the not- notification for it. I yeah. save the long videos because it's a longer one, right? It, yeah, it's like 21 minutes. Yeah, I save those and then I'll binge watch a whole bunch of long, like most of Jimmy's. I'll binge watch most of them like <laughs> once a week. No, no, no. <laughs> I just try to like, I want to focus on them because I'll get distracted if I'm at my computer. Yeah. So. No, I watch back videos that I made really long and I'm like, oh God, I'm so bored. Why did I make this video so long? <laughs> but uh, who am I watching? Uh, I just happen to, again, I catch up on people that I enjoy watching and Dustin Peener, I sent you guys the link, Dustin Peener is the guy I made the chisel for, the chisel handle. And it's a funny story. A lot of people like want to know what the hell happened there. He wrote me a note and said, I have these crazy chunks of brass. I really enjoy watching your videos. Did you want them? I think you could do something with them. And he showed me pictures of them and they were very heavy and very expensive to ship from British Columbia. So I said, well, I'm not just going to let you pay for that. I said, uh, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to make a trade? And he said, yeah, that'd be cool. What would you offer? And I said, how about I, I'm going to do a chisel restoration soon. I'll make that chisel and I'll send that to you. And that was before I made this beautiful brass handle. And once I made it, I didn't want to let it go. But <laughs> I kept my promise and I sent it to him. And then he did an unboxing video of it. And he sent me the chunks of brass, which are now upstate at my house. Taylor took them from me. She said, these are mine now. I'm going to make them into candle holders. So they're just, nice. they're like industrial water nozzles. They're really heavy. They weigh like 10 pounds each. And so we put big candles in them. So they're upstate at the house. Um, yeah. So Dustin Peener, check him out. His video is getting better and better. And he's, he's, uh, I don't think he's a woodworker by trade, but he certainly has got the skills to be a woodworker by trade. I think he, maybe he does something else, but his videos are getting better and better. So check him out. Awesome. Um, so I want to talk about a show on a channel. So the Adafruit is a company, they're actually in New York city and they do, they make electronics components. They're a really cool company actually, because they make, as far as I know, they assemble all of their products there in Manhattan. And so they have kind of a manufacturing plant and they do all the shipping and design and everything right there, which is pretty cool because most, you know, most electronics come out of China these days. Um, So they're a cool company, but on their channel, they have a bunch of different shows that are specific to a certain type of electronics or they have like a wearable show, I think, or they used to anyway. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, just me. Becky Stern did the wearable stuff. Yeah, Becky did that. Yeah. And so they have a bunch of different shows. Anyway, uh, there's two brothers, No and Pedro. I can't remember their last name, but these two twin brothers have a couple of shows that they do and they're all 3D printing, you know, centered. 
But one of them is called Layer by Layer. And basically, it's one of the brothers walking through a 3D model, how they made the 3D model with the idea of printing it. So, you know, they're making considerations in the modeling process to show the printing. And they're usually not very long. Uh, they go through really plainly talking about the modeling process. But, um, and I've only watched a couple of them because it was like, well, I don't really need to know how to do that specific thing that they're doing. So I'm not going to watch this video. I'll just remember that it's here. Well, the other day they had one that was, um, no had one that was about taking two, making two caps with a thread on the inside so that you could screw two caps together, which is something I've tried to 3d model in the past. And it was really difficult to do in the way that I was trying to do it in, in just a very few minutes, he showed a really simple way to do it. And it, you know, he modeled it quickly, he printed it, and it turned, the tolerances were perfect, and it just turned together and made this little, you know, it was for these headphones that he was making, but it was just cool to see, like, the process for that modeling something specific that I needed was actually way easier than I thought it was going to be. Hmm. And uh, so they, they have a, a few different 3D printing-based shows, and so if anybody's interested in that, check them out. I think they do, like, a live show and tell for 3D printing once a week or something too. So people can get on and show mm -hmm. what they're working on, which is cool. Yep. Yeah. Adafruit. Oh, can I just do a quick update? Um, nope. My, my uh, resin cast figure is actually getting ready to be sent out. So nice. I think yeah. uh, Carlos sent out some, uh, some emails. Carlos is the man running the show. Uh, he, he sent out emails just uh, telling people that things are coming. So want everybody to know that because it is getting kind of late in the game and I'm starting to get emails and people are getting restless. So I appreciate everybody supporting me in that one. So thank you. I saw that email come in and it made me immediately start thinking about what I'm going to, cause I got the unpainted one. Uh, so, what do do to it? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to figure out what to do to it. Yeah. I'll come up with something. I need to shove an Arduino in it. Yeah. <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> Have the eyes light up. The, uh, the the painted sample that's going around the the I like to make stuff page and some other stuff. It, I look like Drake. I make a joke. I look like Drake because that thing's bling. Uh, just because of the paint job, because the the paint job that has my beard like perfectly shaved and mm. my eyes look a little droopy, so I look like Drake. So um, that was the very first sample. We made some painting corrections. Hopefully, I won't look as much like Drake in the finished sample. I'm gonna turn mine on the lathe and make an ice pick handle out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. just stick an ice pick in the butt and then stick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make a great video. Yes. Definitely. Oh, my God. I can't forget about that part of the whole thing. <sighs> oh, and by the way, guys, look, I fixed my microphone stand. Oh, oh wow. look at that. Mr. That's Maker been... himself finally fixed his microphone stand. <laughs> I bought a, a snowball based on these guys' recommendation, and I opened it, and the bottom was broken. So the entire time, my microphone was always at like a 60 degree angle in the camera. And I put a big steel hockey puck at the bottom. Nice. It's about time. <laughs> it is. It's only the whole entire time we've been doing this, it's been broken. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, that'll probably do it for us this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. And, Thank you. Uh, catch you next time. Later Thanks on. for meeting early, guys. I appreciate it. I love you.